This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. Feral Audio. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. All right, welcome to the Todd Berry Podcast. Talking into my phone right now, but soon you'll hear me talking into a really expensive microphone in Los Angeles with my guest Todd Glass. He's one of my best guests. Very passionate. His face got all red during portions of the interview when we're talking about comedy clubs and stuff. Uh, I don't want to ruin it. You're about to listen to it. Uh, as you know, as you know, not as you know, I have a new special out. You might not know. It's crowd work special. 100% crowd work, work in the crowd, seven cities. It's on lewisck.net. It's only $5. And for the most part, except for a couple of shitheads, been getting pretty good response to it. And I hope you get it. And I have a new tour, my final crowd work tour coming up soon. Also, that will be starting November 3rd. In Raleigh, I'm going Raleigh, the Carolinas, Texas, D.C., Philly, New York, uh, Minneapolis, Chicago, Madison. Uh, I'm missing some of those, but you can look it up on ToddBerry.com and follow me at ToddBerry. I know my voice sounds good because I just woke up. All right. Here's Todd Glass. All right, everyone. It's the Todd Barry podcast. I don't know what I'm laughing at. I'm laughing because Todd Glass is sitting across from me. And there's something about him makes me laugh. Uh, but I should point out that the audience, you know, we don't get along. I just made that. <laughs> I just, I can't, that was as far as I could commit to a practical joke. <laughs> what, like, except for like an eighth of a second. Oh, I was just kidding. We, 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 we got along fine. But uh, what was that thing we filmed in Chicago? Did I never got to see that. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Where we pretended we were in the middle of like a fight or something? We we did where you went and you came in. We were doing interviews in a van. Yeah. And then- which was sort of all we could get, but it was sort of fun. Like we didn't know where to do them, and I didn't want to make people set up where they had to do it. Like, oh, I'm right in front of everyone in the green room. Yeah. So I said, I'll do it in a van. That way, if people want to do it. So we took all the seats out of the van, and we put two directors' chairs all the way in the back, and we had like a little talk show. I love that you thought that was the easy way to do it. Let's let's get a van and rip the seats. Well, out. if they come out, they just un- oh, do they right? They unlatch. I remember that because uh, was that during Chicago, right? Yeah. And there was a thunderstorm, and I'm terrified of lightning. And I was like, I'm not going in there, even though it was like six-inch walk outside. And then I got really brave, and I just said, yeah, let's do this. Well, and they say in the, in a car is the uh, most safe place because of the rubber tires. I was worried about walking to the car. Oh. <laughs> hey, I don't make fun of anybody's fears. You know I why? know. You were nice about it. Because I, I, you just realize that you have yours. 
Everybody has theirs. They just make fun of because yours don't cross-reference to theirs. Like, you're scared of rain? I'm not scared of rain. <laughs> and then three years later, you find out there's a bug they're scared of. Oh, so you couldn't you couldn't have gotten there and had empathy for me just because yours wasn't exactly what mine is. Exactly. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, because, I mean, I'm not afraid of flying, but when people tell me, I go, yeah, I totally get why you'd be afraid of flying. Yeah. Terrifying. If you think about it. Yeah. That's another one. Yeah, you're right. It's like I fly all the time. Is there a period of flying that bothers you, the landing, the takeoff? You know, uh, not period, but that like because taking off is an- always... anxiety wise. It's that that last thirty seconds where they're like, or that last half hour where you think you feel the plane descending, and they're like, "Yeah, we uh, we're 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 one hundred twenty miles from New York. It's, we'll land in forty minutes. Forty minutes to go one hundred twenty miles in a jet. Yeah, well, it does seem like when they and start... also then the sitting. Yeah, when you're taxiing, I get really. I want to just jump off the plane. There's a point when the plane lands and it's going pretty fast. And, you know, if it hit a bump, it could still turn over and everyone could die. But then when it slows down to about 90 miles an hour, probably, what it probably is, which is still pretty fast, where I go, okay, we're okay now. We're going to, we're all going to live. Yeah. I, I Like even turbulence, I'll go, oh, yeah, that was uh, unsettling. But uh, I, feel, I don't know. For some reason, I feel safe. Because I got to get to those gigs, man. <laughs> right? You got to get to the gigs. So, what was the bit we did? We did a bit, though, for this van taping. I forget. We just acted it like. It was something you were... where, in the, where it started and we were like, and you were like apologizing to me. You, all I remember is the whole thing was I don't think we ever really talked. It was a commit. You committed to really or No, come we did in talk, here? but oh, you we were did. just like. I forget. It's like, Todd, I, I already went over. I'm a, I'm a, I apologize 10 times for this. Like, yeah, it was. It was not bullshit enough. what yeah. you did. And we sat there quiet for Did a they while. ever air that? I don't know what they did with that. Because I'd love for people to find it right now, and you know what and, you just mentioned. Why it, I brought it up? You, you mentioning it makes me want to call the festival because they had all the footage. They did something with it at the end of each day, so they probably it is probably online. Somewhere. Okay, because I did. That is the thing about those festivals. You end up filming a bunch of stuff, and you go, "Hey, I've never seen any of that." Well, that they, interviews right, they, and stuff. They take you in these rooms and, and yeah. you do all these interviews, and then you're like, "Whatever happened to that?" And then you remember a year later, like, "Wait a second, whatever, what did they do with that?" Anyway. And then you ask them for a VHS of it. I was so... <laughs> what were you going to say? I was so worried today. I was like, I, I feel like I, I want to... Like, I, I, I say to myself on the way to podcast, which I love. I love, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a, I like the outlet. Um, but I can't talk about that. I can't... Meaning, because I've talked about it so much. Right. So. I know. That is... I've sometimes... A lot of times I've had people on my podcast go, I'll go, do you have a story? Yeah, I got a story. Did you tell this on any other podcast? Yeah, I told on four other podcasts. Yeah, I don't you get raked over the coals if I do that. You got to have fresh stories. Yeah. Let's talk about how we met. And was it in West Palm Beach that we met, or did I meet you before that? Uh, you're right. That might have been where we met. Now, but we didn't. Did we stay in the condo? Together? Yeah, we. Sh- yeah, we. Um, didn't we have a bit there that we did? Yeah, we did. I was going to get into that. Yeah. Well, there was. Uh, we we worked at this really good comedy club that's not there anymore called the Comedy Corner in West Palm right. Beach. Which you know what that reminds me of that it were. If, if I have money, like if I ever have like what I call Bill Gates money or, yeah. you know, like not even Bill Gates money, even like, you know, Zach Galvanakis money. Yeah. You know what I mean? People that you have. A, uh, my experiment would be just like some people gamble. It would be to open up comedy clubs in areas where people perceive that there's not a bright crowd. And even if it's a low income, not a low income comedy club, but a cheap comedy club to make like uh, um, the Atlanta Laughing Skull. Like, that's a real club. I mean, you go in there, the show starts, the lights come down, the yeah. curtain opens up. I mean, but it's not a $3 million club. You could open that club up if you had money for, you know, probably not very much money. 
uh, to do that in areas like that. Because West Palm, you're right, that was a great club. It was really good. And, and everyone and came through there. Everybody came through there. The audiences were great, proving that if you – if you, look, they're not trying to fill 10,000 seats every night. You have 250 seats that you're trying to put maybe four or five shows a week. And, you know, now there's no club like that there, is there? There's, there's sort of a niche little hip club. No, there's not like – I mean, there's a chain There's chain club. There's a chain, but not like – you know, to me that was equivalent to the DC Improv or – you know what I mean? Or the Acme or the Laughing Skull or the Heliums. There was that – the Comedy Corner? Yeah. Colleen Com- McGar. Colleen McGar, yeah. And it was just these great crowds and it was run creatively. And Yeah, that's one of the first places I went on stage and then I got middle work – <laughs> right after that, because I was just such a bright, shining star. So, so what was the bit we had? It was very oh, we funny. had a bit. So, let me just tell everyone that there was a house next door, as the comedy condo, and it was just on kind of a slightly creepy street. Street. It was just, you were just felt just safe enough, but you're still like hearing noises and stuff. But, but, but they, real quick, it was a cool condo. It was clean. Yeah, it was clean. And it clean. had like old antique furniture in it. You didn't feel like you were in a, sh- a, a shithole. At least no. I don't remember. No, Maybe it wasn't my... a shithole. It no. was just, I just, you know, I just get scared. Yeah. I was a little scared. It felt a little scary, but I think it was probably safe. But I remember a guy, did a guy come up to us and give, he gave you a resume, right? After one of the shows, you were headlining. This was like 1988, I think. It had to be more like, no, it had to it, be like 1990. Really? 90. So like, it was when I came back there? I don't know. I don't so, know. But the bit, I, now my head is spinning what yeah, this bit I was. Yeah, what, what was it? Well, it was a guy who gave you a resume, right? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you go, because it was such a well thought out bit. Like, it wouldn't, this is something you, what I loved about this, and then I will shut up and let you go. No, I want you to. Is that you could have pulled this off in real life. Like, we would never do this because it's too right. cruel. But if we sold this, like, we were planning on selling it. You could have gotten this guy. He gave me a resume, and you were saying, what if you just called him and said, somehow it ended up where if you would trick somebody into saying, listen, we got your resume. Oh, we love it. And we need you to fly to Cleveland. And then you do one of these. It was something like, Karen, do me a favor. <laughs> get uh, get uh, Dan on line three to see if we can get this guy a ticket out here. And yeah, first class. Okay, hold on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. You act like you're in a. Okay, hey, hello. Hey, how you doing, Bob, or whatever his name is? Yeah. And you go, listen, we're going to. I'm going to call you later today. And you could get someone to go, listen, we, our travel guy is not here today. A little, little embarrassing here for a corporation like this, <laughs> but could you get yourself a ticket? And when you get here, fly first class. And then you get him we'll to fly. Reimburse you. We'll reimburse you. But we made it where it would work. And we had every little detail. I know. It was, it was, I mean, I, I like to think. I know there's people who would actually do that. But I, I, like, I like thinking of jokes like that, but then I, I, there's no way I would ever do that. You know, I've said the same thing. That's to me funny as a what if, but I have no desire. I don't – you know why practical jokes I'm not really a fan of when they get – because they get – you know, doing – well, that's something you would do to someone. Maybe they never get retribution, but even between friends, like because then it just gets meaner and meaner. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, you, I got to do this and then I got to trick you. I don't want to be tricked. Yeah, I think it's only funny like if you were like one of the jackass guys and you basically knew this is what I signed up for. Right. So I'm going to open the door to my hotel and a, a giant fist is going to punch me <laughs> and I'm going to fall down. But yeah, that would have, I remember that because I was like, we were just, it was just one of those things that was just so fun to think of like, oh, 
We'll just like, yeah, just get the guy to buy a plane ticket and fly him to some city. And then you're like, you said, get, listen, make sure you get a, get a hotel. And you're always like going, listen, spend them, you know, is that going to be all right with you? And you just do me a favor. Hold on one second. I go, and you would like act like you were talking to one of your assistants. I go, well, I have a cashier's check when he gets here. This is not the way. Yeah, this is embarrassing. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Hold on. Well, he's on the line. Let me talk to him right now. Okay, hi. I'm sorry. And he would overhear you saying all that stuff. Like, yeah. Oh, it sounds real. It would be very believable. And, and then he flies all the way out. Yeah, and then we, we snicker while we're like, ah, <laughs> guy just spent $900 on a ticket. Now he's walking around the city. Ah. No. I think it was a, it all started because of the resume. Like, did he, you know, I guess we were. Why would he, yeah. I mean, that's, is that something, I don't remember that ever happening except that one time where some, I mean, there's always people who want to network with you, but this was. Like that, he had a resume on him, right? And he handed it to me on the way out. I thought he wanted to say I did a good job. He goes, "Here's my resume." You know what? Maybe people have great stories. They do it. There's always somebody that tells that story. I, I went to Paramount. They didn't hire me. You know what I did? I sat outside there for two weeks and I said to them, "No, shut." You know, that's when they call the police. Right. You know, doesn't lead to work when you do weird shit. Yeah, they think. Well, I think that. I mean, he. I, if I remember, he was a nice guy. I don't think he was like super pushy. But you know who ended up being. <laughs> it, it, it was, was uh, Bill Gates. It was. <laughs> I was going to think of something. That was uh, Zach Galvanek. Holy shit! I, I had we, you know you had real. I had really fun shows there because um, I did a show there with you, and I did a show there with uh, Greg Proops, and I did a show there with uh, some. I remember. I remember Mitch Hedberg coming up to me after a show there. He was really? like a newer comedian. Yeah. I mean, one of the guys on the open mics, two of the open mic scene people there, and I've talked about this before, Larry the Cable Guy and um, Carrot Top, were, we were like open micers together. Oh, so you started there? I Yeah, that was like the third place I went on stage, second or third place I went on stage. Was. They had everything right at that club. They even had a curtain, so when it was not crowded, they could slide yeah. it diagonally through the room, cutting even the stage in half. And giving it like a little corner stage in a room. And it was just, that was pure joy for me. That was the first time that I experienced what audiences, like what those type of audiences were. And it made me work harder because I, like, I knew I wanted to be as good as the audiences were. That was a right. weird thing for me to, to, for the first time, think, oh, these are great audiences. Usually I was saying, I hope the audience is great. But with those crowds, I say that about the UCB at their best in the melt yeah. and places like that. Like you start thinking... Geez, I want to be as good as these audiences. I can give them. I can do a little better than I've been doing. But don't you think those sometimes those audiences are too good? Like it. I mean, Meltdown's a great place, and it's designed. Everything about it is is, is design wise is good, and the crowds are great. But some, sometimes you do one of those rooms, and you're like, "Well, that was great, and now I'm going to take this on the road, and none of this will work." Or, I used to think that, but now I'm thinking like, you know, you can, you know, you know, some people say like. Oh, you're not a comedian unless you can work the fucking uh, the shittiest club in the world they mentioned. You know, yeah. but it's a comedy club. It's open six days a week. If you and I go, no, fuck that. No, 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 no. I would. I have something like that. A rule, like I mean, you say anybody's a comedian if you could do ten minutes. But I mean, you're a comedian. I, I think my unofficial way of saying it is, I don't think. I think you can call yourself a comedian when you can at least, if you've been doing it, you know, let's say ten years, twelve years, you should be able to do forty-five minutes. At the good clubs, at Acme, like we just said, at the Helium clubs or, you know, so uh, – but those good audiences – I used to have two notebooks, but now – and then I started to go, you know – I did. I literally had two notebooks. What do you mean, one, like your road notebook? In your yeah, one I would use at the at – the, uh, at back then the – the um, what was the place where Largo started? Not Largo, where uh, UCB started. 
that the, the the where it was at first. Oh, I don't know. Before the UCB, well, it was always the UCB. Before the show that was at the UCB, what was that called? Scott. Oh, M Bar. The M Bar. Yeah, man, that was that, that was, was a also. Good one. That, that again, that that just brings me back to like just thinking. Oh, this is. This is great. This is cool. I'm glad that I'm a part of this because it was just – but anyway, um, I, I got a little off track. And no, I'm sorry. this was about, man. Yeah. So you were, you were just saying that you can't take that stuff out on the road. Oh, yeah, back then I would have at the M bar, a notebook for the M bar. But then I realized that um, – and maybe I got some of the shittier clubs out of my – out of my roster. I don't go back to them anymore. But I found whatever I could do in town, 95% of yeah, the time. Yeah, I mean, I exaggerated in that. I said none. Yeah, but there's just a lot of it. It's just basically those audiences are so good. They are. That you can't always expect that. I guess that's what I meant. Yeah. And some people make fun of those audiences. Sometimes I go, you know what? They're, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like they're like they, they get used to good shows. Well, hey, guess what? That's not their fault. They're given unbelievable shows. Yeah. So, you know, I think that they're great. I think they treat comedy like people treat the opera, and I think that's exactly what it is. You know, someone said at the uh, – at the, uh, I always call it the wrong thing on Melrose. The improv? No, the uh, <laughs> not Melrose, Sunset, the uh, m- yeah. comic – behind the comic book place. Meltdown. The Meltdown. I always yeah. say it wrong. Behind the Meltdown, uh, those audiences – someone said one day, they're like, oh, my God, in a nice way. They go, do they ever even go to the bathroom? <laughs> like, there they are just sitting there just watching it like – and it makes you ah, – that just makes it fun. Yeah, I just feel like they're like, we know you want to make us laugh. We're going to go ahead and laugh, yeah. We're not going to fight you. But so I've been iced out a few at the – in the, like sometimes I've done UCB and I feel like some people are icing me. But I think maybe they're scared because I'm looking in their eye <laughs> and I don't seem like a pleasant, nice, great guy that I am. Or things happen. I've had that feeling where I've gone on in front of crowds and went – they may be opening up for like doing like a Largo show and I just misread them and I don't know. I like you know what I realized at Largo for so many years I misread the audience there and I realized finally after literally five years of doing shows there, I I like a room dark. I do like a room dark and they keep it dark. But I like I realized that's my fucking problem. There can be too dark. All I see is the first two rows. So really, if if, or I can't, if something gets a smile, or see, you know, I couldn't judge it. So finally, I creeped up the lights in the room a little. Yeah, I like them creeped up. Creeped a bit. up. I just I don't want to see people be able to be in a police, you know, be able to you know say uh, he was wearing a green shirt and a yeah. hat. But I want to be able to see. So I creeped up the lights, and life is completely different now. I have a much better gauge on how the audience is. Yeah, because sometimes you just look at someone who's got a big smile on their face, and they're not going ha 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 ha, and you're like, all right, well, I'm doing. That's what's supposed to happen. Exactly. No laughter. <laughs> no, I, no, I know. But yeah, we get what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> we get what we're saying. You guys on board with this? I, I turn to the mic whenever I'm talking to the audience. What, uh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, did you? Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. I once, uh, it's a totally different topic, but I, you opened for, uh, I think it was, who did you open for? Was it Louie or did you open for David Cross somewhere? I did a I did a tour uh, with 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 both. That's because right. I got I once found when I when I would make the mistake of Google searching myself, I found this woman who ripped me apart, and then she's like, her basically her thing was, I went to the show and I heard there was a guy named Todd opening. I was like, Todd Barry's an asshole, like all this shit. And then I got there and I was relieved because it was Todd Glass, and, and it was just like, <laughs> it was just great to get a review of uh, 
a bad review of a show I wasn't even on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're, it's thumbs down, but I wasn't even on the show. Just because we have the same name. Yeah, she no, goes, you know what? I thought it was going to be Todd Berry, so I'm going to bring it up about him. It's weird how many I get confused. I mean, get confused for you. Like I've shown up at places and they have your name on it. It's just like just because the first name, that's all you need to get that. All, that's all it takes to fuck you up. Somebody said something once on Twitter. They go, I, uh, something about, I always confuse Todd Berry with Todd Glass. I know what they mean. Just the Todds. They get yeah. across. Like your mom would, been with four brothers, she would go, Michael, Spencer, Todd. I yeah. think that's what it is. It's okay. not like we're, our styles are the same. It's just, well, just the simple simpleness of we have the same first name. They tweeted. They go, I don't know who that's an insult to. And out of all things for me to get I think you responded about, that way. I did. I went, neither of us. Yeah. Like, I, thank God the other Todd is somebody that's a good comedian. Like, what do you mean? Is that an insult to? You know, it's funny. Like, I always defend what I mean by social media is I try to get to this. How do you say it? Like, the place of being sort of spiritual, an overused term of like social media is good and people can get a lot of kind things to you. You got to remember that. Think of all the kind things that people 20 years ago couldn't have said. And something can show up on the right day. I've had emails show up and give me so much confidence. I handled a situation and somebody articulately, not just agreed with me about maybe the way I handled a heckler, uh-huh. brilliantly wrote me an email, made me feel great or just a kind tweet or you're like, puts a smile on your face. No bullshit. I try to get there. But I had a, I, I, I don't think the way to get anywhere is to fake it when when you're not there, when you have the moments where the evil wins, just talk about it and know that that's not where you want to soak in all the time. But the, I did Doug Benson's show and I had the best time in the world. I really did. I, I don't normally I have a cutoff with pot and even smoking pot doing our shows. That's only been in the last four years on the road. And I still have a cutoff. I smoke an hour before the show. That way, if I'm too high, I can come down. You get to a, like a nice little sweet spot that makes it fun. But on that show, they give you pot. They give you pot. They give you pot. It's like an excuse to go, okay, you know, should I stop? And I had so much fun. And, and I think that show's fun because it, it's not only, oh, it's pot, man. No, it's watch the comedians. It brings a, an innocence out in you. Sometimes you'll say something childlike. So you let your guard down. And then I... Somebody that works on my podcast said they they read some of the comments, and I never do. I never read the comments, ever. I'll read tweets. My emails, I usually have someone to go through them. If it's const- Really? Yeah. If it's constructive criticism, um, absolutely I would read it. But if it's just vicious, I have them just, yeah, just get rid of them. I don't need to hear it. But I, I, I broke that exception, and... God, I got fucking so mad. I wanted to, like, go. And then I thought, well, do you feel that way about anybody? I usually get mad at a person, like, let's say you want to say, for lack of a better way, a celebrity or somebody on television. If I feel they're manipulative or they're, they're not treating me with respect, I go, fuck you. Or if I disagree with them socially. So I, I have to understand that people watch. And then I thought people were watching me that night in the crowd. Most of them were good, but a lot of them just mean like i got high you dumb fucks i got high this is not the way i normally act like i'm i'm i got very high i'm supposed to be in a comfort zone where you get nervous and people hug you so it's like no that's not the way i would want to do it if someone goes hey you want to come on the show you can get real high and you let your guard down and you let your innocence out and maybe you act differently and then people will sit around with knives and they'll like poke them at you just when you're at your most vulnerable vulnerable it really made me pissed off there is something about reading Reading it, like you do a show for 300 people, you know some of them are not going to like you. But now but it I doesn't bother you. But when you see it actually like written out. They were sitting in the audience. Yeah. And not just like it's not my cup of tea, but like, I mean, it was just like really like, and I thought, God, what am I doing? I, I get it because I felt that way about people. There's people like Glenn Beck. I used to be like, oh, you but But then I think, well, but I'm not saying anything social or at least on that podcast I wasn't. But I don't know why it really got to me. I was like. 
And I wanted to talk about it, and then I decided not on the opening of my podcast. I was like, but it was really – God, it, and it hurt my – it was just fucking did every bad thing to me. Yeah. I mean, that's why – I mean, it's one of those things I have to remind myself. Everyone knows you're not supposed to read the comments. Mm-hmm. But uh, you still sometimes go like, oh, God. You're, you're just sitting there and you're bored, and you're like, oh, don't do this. You're about to do it. Mm-hmm. And then you do it, and you're like, I should have stopped myself. Right. But, you know, it's so I, – I think that uh, – I kind of don't – I don't understand why so many people allow comments on their site. Like even, I don't. Even I, if you do a TV set now, they'll post it on YouTube, and then people rip into you. It's like, why, why – you're allowed – you can disallow that. You can screen the comments. You just allow every – you really want every asshole to weigh in. And, so what do you mean you can screen them? Like if you can set up a YouTube account where it says you, you have to approve comments. Oh, really? Yeah. Like if you have your own personal page, you could either set it for no comments – I didn't even know that because, well, yeah, obviously, you're right. In this case, it was Doug's, but yeah, you're right, even when you post your own YouTube clips. And I can go to everything to, to get me out of it, but I didn't win that day. Like, you know, like as far as like it could be 98% positive and then – but there was there was probably about 20% of the people, which is more than usual. Where, yeah. and, I, and then I thought that – like you just said about – you know they're in the audience every night when people – will you perform? I mean, it's not you want it, but the odds are, you know, it's not going to be everybody's thing. And even though you know that, but now I'm so – aware of it and I got to snap the fuck out of it because last night I did a show with Eddie Pepitone and I was sitting literally on stage well thinking in between my jokes okay who's out there right now going not that's not my thing but god damn it and I pictured them the next day it's weird how I picture because I sort of go in positive a little I'm like I know Todd Glass but god damn it I just don't fucking oh it just rubs me the wrong fucking way and now I'm thinking that they're in the audience and I got to snap out of that shit what helps me, like if I for t- Twitter wise, is if you get like some nasty comment, which occasionally it happens, is to just read the person's what other tweets they have. Yes, and it always relaxes me. It's like, oh, this guy just writes to people in show business all day, right? And he's got three followers. He's a lonely, angry little boy or whatever. So, so, uh, and or you read, you know what else? Like Sarah Silverman told me that one, which seems like a. a, a good piece of advice because as soon as I applied it I remember she said it and then about a month later I went oh and I looked I'm like oh that didn't fucking just work it did and I know that one also you know like look at the most heartwarming thing on the internet a video that's going around and then I started reading like likes and dislikes now some I get it but then I thought who the fuck disliked that then you remember there's 14 year olds there's 12 year olds there's but still that day those people were at the show I think that's what oh no you know what just realized something. Maybe that was YouTube coming. We had a, we had a, maybe I had an epiphany here. I just realized. I thought, well, they were there. But no, they, I think that shows that much. I think that shows broadcast. Well, it? I did it live, but you're right. It was broadcast, and I'm sure some of the people there were. But it just makes me think. Oh man, I wonder how many of those comments they weren't even there. You know. Right. But anyway, I talked about that because I feel better now. Do comedy clubs don't do comment cards anymore? Do they? Do they? I remember. I remember when they didn't, and and and. Uh, uh, I won't say his name. It doesn't matter. He would always like they'd pull three out of them. First of all, I believe they were fake. A lot, the club would go you know, use the comment cards to get their agenda done. They'd be like, you know, we got a few comment cards. And I, I remember one saying, actually, I'll use his name because I give him credit for going legitimately going. That's a good point. I go, you know, when you read these comment cards, you want me to change everything I do because of three comment cards out of the weekend. I go, but if three comment cards said the drink prices were too high, do you lower them? Oh, that's great. And he said, I go, and I remember the way I asked him. I asked him in what I call my Togless style. I go, don't try to be right, Robert. Look, you know, come on. You can, you can, it doesn't mean you have to crumble if you're wrong in this one incident. But be honest. Don't try to squirm out of it. And I go, would you lower them if three comments? He goes, no. 
I go, so I should change everything, but you wouldn't change. How many would it be to lower the drink prices? How about if there were 15 in the week? Let's go to 30. And you could probably make a better argument for him lowering the drink prices than you changing your act. Because his drink price is probably whoever it is. They might have been a little. If it's a typical, I don't not talking about. I don't even know who you're talking about because you did not name that name as you promised. I said Robert. Robert. Oh, it's yeah. a guy named Robert. Yeah. Robert. <laughs> I think we all know exactly who this person. Robert Hartman. Okay. One of the owners of the right. Improv. So, so he, so he, was, he, he kind of was like he took your point. He did. That's I gave a, him a lot of credit for it. He goes. He sort of went. Ah, you know what? I can't argue with that. That's true. Like I. Can't. That was that was that's great. What you came back with. Yeah. Oh, great. because if they go anything like that, they're, but but we should run around and change our thing because of uh Yeah, I had a club in the city, New York City, once where suddenly I wasn't getting spots there. And uh, I go, is everything all right? You know, that pathetic sort of like, <laughs> and the, he goes, well, so we've got, we got a few comment cards. I was like, so? And he goes, well, it was more than a few. It's like, I don't care if there's a thousand. I mean, it's like, because I always think, who who do you know? Can you imagine any of your friends? Filling out a comment card on a performer, <laughs> like even if like privately afterwards, like that was the worst thing I've ever seen. Like actively trying to to ruin their career. Or... I forget what comedy club said this. It might have been someone. I always talk about the DC Improv because they do so much right there. But they said something, and they just said it perfectly. It was so many years ago. He goes, look, if I'm not bringing an act, he goes, look, one thing I don't think is cute, and I don't think it's, I, I do not think it's adorable when an act is trying to bomb. No, I'm not fucking into that. This is the manager of the yeah. club, uh, which are sort of owners too. Um, I'm not, I don't think it's adorable. I don't think it's cute. I don't think you fuck. But if someone goes out there and is, they're fucking trying, and it's not going well, he goes, if I don't have some of those acts every year, he goes, then I'm doing something wrong. Because I'm not trying anything new. He goes, so sometimes if it means being a progressive club that con- constantly is bringing in something new and different that, hey, I don't want it. I want to stay open, he said. But some nights it means not even three. He goes, some nights it could be, you know, 25 co- people walking out. But I'm going, no, this guy's up there. He's doing a good job. And this is what I want my club to be. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, you know, yeah. Because I also feel like, like why, you, if you, ran, I mean, not to say like what we're big fine artists, but if you put a, you know, a museum doesn't ask you to, hey, how'd we do, you know, painting-wise, how do we do? Well, that's what, it's funny you use painting, because I always say, like, you know, uh, when you compare what we have to do to painting, it makes it look obvious that, you know, the audience, obviously, it's the best thing in the world. It's that instant gratification. That's why doing stand-up is, to me, still the most fun thing in the entire world that I do. But it's also like if you had to paint in front of an audience. And I, my sister-in-law asked me this once, and it's the analogy I gave her. She goes, well, you don't want constructive criticism? I go, from who I respect, of course. There was that loophole, and then she understood it. She thought I didn't want to hear anything. I go, no, 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 I respect people, and then I, yes, from them I should be able to take constructive criticism. I said, but, I said, Merle, imagine if someone was painting in front of an audience. Some, who's your favorite? I go, I'll pick you. And then she looked at the, as you were painting, you kept looking at the crowd, maybe you had a mirror next to the thing, and you saw one scrunched up face, you took the canvas, and you started erasing it because you wanted to please the audience. Right. Well, think of what, the artwork. And then she got it. She goes, oh, yeah, you can't. I go, so no, you can't let the audience decide. Yeah. When know? I get some sort of like hate response or something, I, I, I always want to respond like, okay, you didn't like that thing that was whatever on YouTube. What do I say to the people who did like it? Should I tell them that they're wrong? <laughs> should I write to them? Because, I mean, I understand you don't like it, but should I, what should I do? I don't know what to do because 
You've laid down the law that it wasn't good. Yeah. Should I? Should I? No. Well, well, that's like when people are uh, being disruptive in the audience or something. I want to go like, well, I mean, hold on. There's, there's, this is an A or B, an A or B question. Are the other people not getting it? Because 99% of the audience that night, more if you do sheer numbers, did what we want them to do. Right. Come in, be respectful, belly up laughs, give, you know, pauses, let there be quiet. So now you were the abnormal one. So now do you get in your car at the end of the night and when you're talking to your friends go, weird crowd last night. We, no bullshit. I picture them talking to their friends. We were at this club last night. No bullshit. We were the only ones doing it right. What are you talking to? The rest of the crowd, they just... I don't know. They just laughed, and then they weren't interrupting. There were, like, pauses. There were, oh, the comedian would have a pause. Nobody yelled out in the pause. Nobody yelled at anything out. We were the only ones doing it. Like, if they think what they're doing is right, weren't they perplexed that the rest of the fucking idiots in the audience didn't know what the fuck they were doing? Do you look around? Is there a disconnect? Is there something past the point of agreeing to disagree where you have a mental instability where you can't look around and go, all right, listen, I fucked the comedian. I didn't like the way we were treated, but... What the, everyone else was doing something different. Is there a chance that we could have been wrong? Or are we going to go to our death just this delusional and not aware that last night we were in the wrong? Well, it's just like the classic thing that's in your uh, – the thing at the improv where you, you kind of lay down the rules a little bit where people say, oh, we were just laughing. It's like I don't – yeah, like I don't think a bouncer singled you out weirdly and randomly. Just throw you out. Not only do they not single them out, it's funny that I've even added this to my opening announcement because it's true. Because I make my own at clubs and it's very casual because you can't just make an announcement that makes them change their behavior by going, ladies and gentlemen, remember, keep your laughter to a minimum. Remember to turn it. They they, they don't hear it. You got to really go personal with it. And I said, I'm going to tell you a little something. I go and I I think it will help you throughout the night. And I go, I'm only telling you this because uh, I, I constantly tweak my opening announcement. And you know what? Maybe I'm proud of it. Because uh, I've talked about it a lot on podcasts, but this is a new one I've tweaked. I go, whenever the, when, when doormen are not scared to go up and tell people they're heckling, because everyone knows that wrong. But let me tell you something, and this is just the truth. When a cup, when when a table's talking loud, all the doormen, no matter how what size they are, are scared shitless to go over and talk because they get it. They know when you're told to be quiet. There's a look on your face of what? Yeah. Are you shit? So no one wants to do it. They sit in the back of the room and they're like, you go, you go. And I don't think the average audience member it really gets that that's what happens. And then I go, so if in the in the event that you had a few drinks, you don't know it, and our doorman has to come over, he's going to bend down. He's going to be very nice. And he's just going to give you a little reminder. Don't let it ruin your night. So often we see people pout for literally a half an hour after the doorman leaves. I go, just understand that's his friendly way to go. You're a good person. Your voice was a little louder. That's why I'm kindly reminding you. Yeah, I've had people ice me out. Like you could just see like – because I told you to, to, you know, Mm -hmm. just keep your voice down. You're going to frown at me for the next 45 minutes? See, you know what, Todd? There's so many things that I've done that like I go, you know what? I can handle that better. You know, as years go on, how can I handle this? I'm always, even on the worst, when a situation where I deal with a heckler or something, I get in my car at the end of the night, I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to be that guy. But there are times where I'm proud of the way I handle myself. And if someone's going to sit and pout in front of me with their arms folded, I, I made someone leave one night calmly. I wasn't going to yell. The crowd went to leave to, to yell as they were finally leaving. I said, no, 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 let's not mirror their behavior. But it was a girl in the first row, and she went to make a call. And uh, I told her she couldn't do that. It was very nice. And I very analytically I handled it. I didn't go to mean words. I just said, you know, and then uh, I said, you know, and she started to pout the rest of the show. Just look at me meanly. And I went, 
folks, I'm going to do something here right now, and um, majority of the audience is maybe some will agree with me, but I'm going to lose some of you. I don't want to. My dream would be that I can do what I'm about to do and lose nobody, <laughs> but I get it. I'm going to lose people, but I'm going to do it. I go, there's all types of bullies, and this woman over here is a bully. She's a bully. Whether she's intentionally doing it, whether she's not aware she's doing it, I don't have time to figure that out. But I can't do the rest of my show. I, I swear to God, I'm not being coy to make a point. I can't do a good show with a bully in the first row. I don't, I'm not relaxed. And I can't. Get, could you get a massage if there was somebody in the corner of the room that didn't like you folded there and someone goes, just forget them. I'm giving you a massage. I can't work to my best ability with a bully staring at me. And they had her leave. Oh, that's that's a good club. What club was that? Well, they I asked them to. Oh. Even, you know, that, that, that um, was uh, the um, that was the laughing school in Minneapolis. The the Laughing Skull in Atlanta. in Atlanta, and the doorman did it, and afterwards he's like, no, I agreed. I didn't mind doing that. Because you're not going to sit there with your arms folded staring at me the whole show. You don't get to do that. You might do that to waitresses. You might get to do that to other people in your life, but I'm not going to call you a whore when you leave. You know, the angry right, words right. you go to, that you regret. You're like, fuck, why couldn't... You're going to calmly leave this room, and I'm going to do it calmly. No one's going to yell at you. when that. I said, when she walks down the aisle, make room. We're going to do this civil. You know, I didn't want anyone to, like, be a dick to her as she right. was leaving. The whole table had to leave, you know. So um, sometimes I'm glad. I was, yeah, I, was, I thought about that. I go, yeah, I wasn't going to do a good show with her pouting in the first row staring at me. And these people have kids. That's what's funny. They go home to their kids and they go, would you like me to show your children a video the next time? If, when you go, don't act like a baby or grow up, should I show them daddy at a comedy club? <laughs> 43-year-old daddy who was told calmly by a doorman to please be quiet and he's pouting? And should it, would you want your kids to see that? You fucking moron. Well, I'm going, I'm going, you're being quiet. You're 43, you dumb fuck. <laughs> you're 43. What the fuck is wrong with you? And I remember when I worked at a club when I was 17, the owner of the club, Steve Young, someone came up. I was a doorman. And they said, he told me to shut the fuck up. And I figured out what happens when people are told to be quiet. We, you know, we say their looks. You know, the doorman tells them to be quiet. Once the doorman's walking away, if you're a comic staring at the table, they all whisper at each other. Then they're like, what? You know what they're talking about. Yeah. What? We did what? Yeah. Please, not the th he came over again. So by the time they get up to complain, they realize it sounds silly. I really do believe this. Hey, your doorman just came over here and, and he knelt down and he, and he kindly asked us to please be quiet. That sounds a little childish. They, they have this feeling of anger inside, but when they vocalize what I, so they add words. He so told they me to it up a little bit. spice it up. And, and I remember Steve Young. These are the you know, stories when a, when, a, when, a, when a club owner knows the customers and always right. And, and I, I admire the fuck out of it. He goes, my employees make tons of mistakes, but we have to have an honest conversation. He did not tell you to shut the fuck up. And if you want to continue with that story, I'm done. Because he didn't. That's, they do not cross that line. I am 100% positive. And he goes, you don't. He goes, I'm done. And he did. He walked away. He goes, I'm done. I, I can't, you know, I can't embrace your lying. I know you're lying. Therefore, as, you know, they say, you know, you know, you don't know who the idiot is from far. What's that comment? You, you, when two idiots are, when, when you're arguing with an idiot, no one knows who the idiot is from far away. Right. So he's going, if I sit there and, and embrace was this Was this guy, him arguing or was this you or? No, this was this owner of the okay. club. Uh, the guy came up to the owner and oh, pointed me at He was that guy, your employee, told me to shut the fuck up. And Steve Young was like, no, he didn't. I'm done, I'm done talking. If you want to say he said it in a tone or he something that I could believe he did. No, but he didn't tell you to shut the fuck up. And that's what happens. People do that at clubs to this day. I think the clubs where, they, uh, where they're kind of strict, I think it works better. I mean, I think people just know, oh, this is not a fun place. 
the people who are you don't want there. Oh, will it's go, great. We'll go. Oh, this is this is this place is uptight. I I did helium in uh, Portland, which is a really good room. Yeah, and they make really good announcements about not texting, and then. This woman came up afterwards, and she was buying a CD, so she wasn't that bad. But she, uh, <laughs> she's like, a lot of rules at this place, huh? I go, I go, which rules? Did, which rule didn't you like? And she's like, well, I, I don't know. I was like, well, you, you just said there are a lot of rules at this place, and you seem like you don't like them, but you can't name one now. Well, it, it, uh, okay. Because, again, it's the same thing. I think you're connecting it like to go, well, not to be – if she would have said, well, the cell phone thing. Oh, do you think people should be like, well, no, no, no. well name another rule. Well, the no talking during the show. Do you think people – because they just – you're right. They, they When they break it down, they're like, all those rules do make sense. You just – when you don't apply them, you know – well, I call – I was at a show once. I can get in someone's head just by having moments of that. I had someone tell me to turn off my phone once when I went to see some – there was some uh, – we went in Vegas to see a show when I was opening up for somebody there, and uh, I had my phone, and I, I thought I was doing it really good, and an usher told me to turn my phone off. And I remember thinking, ah, and I thought, no, don't do that. Someone tells you to turn your phone off. I, and I took two, took me three seconds to catch myself. I'm but I was going to get in your phone out. Well, Were you I, like so far in the back? You thought I, w- of- I was. I was like, you know, halfway in the room. But still, it's annoying. To the, but, but you know what? This is one of those things I know I've talked about a lot, but it's I'm all hit, right. hitting it from a little different angle. I think you have to educate people. And the best new line I've heard at a comedy club, I think there's like, we're in a, we're in a great period right now. We have a lot of creative clubs opening up. We're so, you know, the only way there can be a good club is if there's someone on every site. And I told the owner of Helium this when he opened up his chain. I said, you have to know that there might be someone that maybe doesn't, he, he gets a C plus or a B minus when it comes to remembering the order things or that. But he's great with the comedians. You have to value that. So you need someone on site that's creatively motivated, that gets the creative, the, the type of person that would go, oh, no, 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 we can't serve dinner in the first row. It's, yeah, well, we'll lose, we're going to lose, you know, 180 bucks because four came in late and they want to eat in the first row. So if it's just the person that knows numbers, you need that on every comedy, you need that at every comedy club too. Someone that knows how to run a club, order the food, balance the budget at the end of each night, do the money. But you also have to have someone there that gets creatively because that's how clubs get respected. And if the two of them respect each other, you know, both managers, you know, I'm the, then it's going to run right. And that's what you see at the good clubs. Like I love when I'm at a club and someone comes in late and I hear them going, Oh, man, we're sorry. We just can't serve you dinner in the first row. Can we I've move never you? heard that. You know That's what? That's great. Yeah, I've 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 seen it at um, I've seen it at Helium. I've seen it at Acme. Not Acme. They don't serve food. I saw DC Improv, Dallas Improv once in a while. We can and they do it real nice. Not like they're soup Nazis. Right. They're like, hey, we we can move you back three rows. But of course, you can't be fucking serving entrees in the first row. I would a say show. most clubs wouldn't even it wouldn't even enter their mind to say that. You're right. They wouldn't even know. That's why I like the I say it all the time. Man, go to those good clubs and learn from them. Have you worked in the UK at all? I haven't. Well, how is it there? Well, there's this club and I've talked about this before, but I'll you know, you gotta repeat things. But I mean, there's a place called The Stand, uh, which is a Scottish chain of comedy clubs. There's like three or four of and they're in, the, in England as well. But there they have like this list of rules. Don't talk, not whispering, like don't talk. Uh, don't turn to your friend and explain something like the real explicit. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, and then it says, uh, "Shut your phones off." You know, capital letters off, not vibrate off. And then on the website, they actually on Fridays and Saturdays they ban bachelorette parties. And they go and there's they actually provide a link of a different club you can go to. Like 
Here's a club where you'll be fine. What's the name of this club? It's called The Stand. God bless them. Yeah, and it's getting good. They, you know, like we want like a theater, like we want to treat this like it's a theater show. Well, that's like when you go to Largo and and Michael goes to the front of the room in the audience with no mic. There's something so artistic about that and creative. And you know what? As much as I like things run a certain way, I don't want someone doing it flippant. They're still customers and you can still respect them. And Michael does it that way. He's like, we're glad you're here. So I'm being stern. But look, there's rules here. Oh, I was going to say at the uh, at the Bloomington Comedy Attic, I love when That's I a good place. it is a great place, and I love when I go to a club and I could steal ideas from them. Meaning, like I I didn't make my ideas up. I watched the clubs that get right. it right. I used to play loud music before the shows, and then I learned, oh no, it's more of a jazz thing as they're being set. That's it's not rock and roll, you know. And um, Jared has the be- his opening video. I fucking love it. He goes, he says, "Welcome, very friendly. You're here. We're glad you're here." We're and then he goes, one of the biggest misconceptions in comedy is that we want you to yell out, and I love that because it's like going. Maybe they think that. I think a lot of them do. And maybe they're not even, maybe everybody that thinks that isn't a moron. So educate them. Now they know it. Now you know it. So if you didn't know it, now you do. And he goes, I always hate when someone comes in late, even if it's 13 people, because there are 13 people that didn't hear that announcement. So he goes, I try to verbally tell them in the hallway before they come in. Like, you know, you don't yell out. You don't, you know. You know what I mean? Like a, yeah, some yeah. cables coming late. Right, right. I love that Jared goes, fuck, I hate they didn't see that video because he's right. But that thing is like the, the, a lot of clubs don't do that kind of thing because they're afraid of like we don't want to make waves. We don't want the, yeah. the contra- we don't want the um, conflict or the uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? The, the – uh, what is con- – not the con when you're just uh, the whatever it is, the bad scene. Yeah, yeah. And uh, – You know what's funny about it is that – you would think if you would say it this way and you don't. Like it, it sort of stems from a conversation I had with my brother once. He asked me if clubs like Acme or the DC Improv or all the great clubs we keep mentioning, all the Heliums, and uh, do they make as much money? And I thought the minute he said it, I thought that's a great question because you think I would have said this. Well, they don't make as much money, but they do pretty good. No, they make more and they stay open longer. Yeah. So it's like don't do it because even if you go, I don't give a fuck about comedy. It's I hate business. comedy. I hate comedy. Why, oh, then why do you have all those great rules? Well, I want to stay open longer and make a shit ton of money. They all stay open longer. That's what I was going to say. Confrontation is the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Very common word. But mm-hmm. yeah, the ones that – um, yeah, I, I, I always say it's like well, if you do have that confrontation, I understand you don't want to. Maybe there will be a little scene. But then those people won't come back, and the people who see you handle that will come back, and it's better for everyone. It's better to perform yeah. it. They're nicer to the waitresses. Yeah. It's and then just, they – you know, I think uh, Lewis uh, at Acme said, you know, when he used to be afraid to go tell a table to be quiet, he was – and I think the first time he said he did it, when he was walking away, like three tables gave him like a thank you. Like they went, thank you. I always get that. And then he turned the corner and then somebody else went, hey, thank you. And he went, I'm so afraid to go over and tell these tables to be quiet. I forget about the 30 people around them that don't know that they can go to a door person and go, hey, the table next to me, they're, they're chatting right under the radar because that's what they do. They chat right under the radar. They chat. They just keep it just enough. Yeah. And it's, but anyway. so, sometimes just looking at someone talk, even if you don't hear them, where they're just constantly like, beep, 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 beep. Or like a guy constantly <laughs> not letting his, his girlfriend watch the show because it drives him crazy that a, a guy is making her laugh harder than he's ever made her laugh. And beep, 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 beep. But yeah, it's, I try not to look at those people. That's so funny. That's the same thing. I even say, even if I can't hear them, I'm not going to lie. Most of the time you can, but even when you can, it's like, well, that's why kissing in the first row or the second row. No, have a little respect, you fuck. 
yeah. kiss you. This is not. I'm not. I'm not. You're not at a lounge where you you have that option where the entertainment. This is you came to see this. Yeah, not so a stop little kissing. corner booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. Pe- yeah, makes me so mad. But you know what? I always try to go to the positive before I stop myself. Right now, majority of audiences are awesome. And they're great. Yeah, so, they are. So they are. Most people are not. Most and people are. Remember. Are there clubs you just won't go back, no matter what they like? Like I can never come back here. You know what? That's why. Like I like that I get to open up for some acts. You know, like you know, like Jim Gaffigan or Spade or yeah. or uh, travel with like you know, you know, uh, opening up because it lets me be choosy at the comedy clubs so like 70 percent of the time i do my club dates and then about 30 probably about 30 percent i'm opening up for people and um so when i go i can say no to a lot of the clubs which maybe i wouldn't be able to like if i didn't open up at all i'd take a few weeks and it's not my favorite club so now i just work my favorite clubs and yeah a lot of them a lot of them where i just can't once you taste those good clubs what it's like it's hard to go back to like i won't mention it a city where you're like oh you know it's just a lot of papered people, not even papered creatively. You know what I mean? Just no, like, of course not. Just, just like shitty where blasts. they do a blowjob shot after the show. Like they want the MC to bring somebody up from the audience. I think Go I just, fuck yourself. I just heard about this club, I think. Yeah, a few of them do it. It's a way to sell drink. Well, how do you make them? What do you charge for that? And I also, guess? that's like there's people, you know, occasional meet who are like, I've never seen a comedy show in my life. Like you meet some like 35-year-old person. I've never seen a comedian before. And it's like, I think some of those people are terrified of going, they don't want to go to a funk. They want to see a show. They don't want to get blowjob shots. Ugh, that's what they do. That's what somebody wants to do at the end. And by the way, some of them do it at the end of the show. Some do it at the end, after the headliner. So it's like, okay, see that guy up there? He's been working 20 to 30 years to bring that crowd. So indirectly, I don't care if you fucking say it or you don't. You indirectly say it. You go... Okay, so this is this is the creativity that's on that site. You know what I mean when I say site? Like, you know, there's the club. I consider yeah. that in the corporate world. There's a site, and hopefully you have people that know what they're doing at that, at that club. When there's no one creative on board, you know, it, constantly decisions are made that are penny-wise, dollar-foolish, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's okay. So they sit around to me, and they're pro- it's like they're going, how should we end the show? And somebody might go, why don't when the comedian does his last joke, because it looks like they go boom, boom, boom. They really want that last minute to be, you know, boom, and they go, good night. Maybe a, a blackout, and we just say good night? And they go, no, 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 no. Oh, my God, shut her the fuck up. That's the worst idea in the world. Oh! We have, like, blowjob jokes, and we could make an extra $63, and we could send one of the MCs back up on the stage and pull him out from the audience and make her do the – or him do a blowjob. And we have, it's like a blowjob joke, and we could end that way. And, again, whether they said it or they didn't, indirectly, that's what happened at that club. They went, good idea. Right. Good idea. That's a good idea. And then maybe do they make fun of the other girl? Yeah, Lisa, you know what she said? Let's end with the comedian because that would be a strong – oh, shut the fuck up. Now we make $63 more. We bring someone – and, you know, I consider myself – I try to be a pretty calm person, but this evokes an anger in me. I want to just – I just just fucking close the doors. You du- if you need to make an extra little bit of money on your blowjob, shut shut your fucking doors. Just yeah. go, go fucking close your establishment, you dumb fucks. Have you had people uh, ask if they can um, propose on stage? I have, and I've done it. Twice, and I said the last time I was going to do it, even though it was sort of fun, I can't do it again. You know why? First of all, one reason you probably never thought of. I, one time I did it in the middle of the show. You can't follow it because yeah. it's very 
So I thought, oh, I'll do it at the end. I, you know, I have one, I'll do my, I'll do it, and then I have my closer. So I'll do that. And then I was afraid all night I was going to forget. It's too much riding on this. The guy sent flowers, and the the wait staff's going to bring them out when I do it. What if I forget to do it? And that's his whole night. He's been planning it. What have you done it? No, I I would never. I've never been asked. Can I? But I, you know, I did a club once where they were like. Yeah, um, before you on, this guy's going to go on stage and propose. And I was like, no. No. <laughs> and the guy goes, oh, at the end? Should I do it at the end? If you're going to do it, <laughs> I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to say don't do this now because the guy's waiting. But, yeah, you would, you do it after the show. Like, I just uh, – the idea, like, I would never go to a – I mean, I'll even go to comedy shows where there's, like, 15 comics going on. And I don't assume that I can just go on stage – just like if I went to a concert, I'd be like, hey, that stage, that, that's like an open stage, right? Is that like- mm-hmm. Well, you know why that probably happens? Because I'm trying to own it a little, like on the on the side of not making fun of the audiences. Maybe because so many comedians do that shit. People come up to me after the show once in a while or before. They go, hey, my boyfriend's here. Can you, a woman asked me in Appleton last weekend if I could heckle her boyfriend. Yeah, I, I love I, when they say that. Uh, first of all, I don't heckle right. your boyfriend. I'm, I'm they think talking. heckling is any conversation in either yeah. direction. Yeah, I don't heckle him. And uh, you know what? Again, I always try to preface it here. Most audience members, not only are they nice, uh, you know, you meet people that are cool. I've been at, I, you, as you know, you meet people that are really cool. People after a yeah, show yeah, that yeah. come over and talk to you. And if, if it's the right night, you're happy to be at a bar somewhere and pull up a chair and talk for an hour. Some nights, then nah, I go back to my hotel room. But overall, people are awesome. But it is that weird thing of like, I'm not a, you know, I don't want to like, no, I may believe in anything. It makes me say things that I'm not really feeling me. Like, oh, who gives a shit? Or, yeah, I've been backstage and then like the waitress or something. Hey, there's a guy out here. And I just, I'm not doing it. One of you guys wants to do it. But it's just, it's such a, to me, it's so selfish. I feel bad even for the bachelorette parties. Like, it's weird that I've been able to look at it from their perspective. I really have. Like, yeah. You know, whether their wedding or how long their marriage is going to last, you know, it's a special night. And I get it. It's a special night to them. It really is. So if the club doesn't tell them, like, even when the clubs that allow it and they allow the comedian to make fun of it and they don't get thrown out, let's forget about when the bachelorette party gets thrown out. Yeah. I'm sure there have been worse nights where they haven't been thrown out, but the club lets the comedian do whatever they want, calling that bachelorette party is just horrible things, that, like, which I'm glad in a way because it calms me to see it. Right. But yet I think of them, I go... Oh, God, it's like special night. Like, you know, and I think yeah, that's good when the clubs tell them, like, you know, hey, don't, just, maybe you don't want to do it here. I like that. But very few will do that. Very few will do Because they're it. going, wow, there's 10 people there. Exactly. Two drinks each. Do, do, do. Yeah. That's um, like the you know the uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 stress factor in New York. Someone just told me they 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 they, they um, what do you call it? They appeal to that. They have tables of ten because they want the birthday parties. Right. Oh, if there's a group of ten and they can all sit at the same table, oh, tables of ten. That's why I'm glad I started out at a great club. I remember again, Steve Young at the Comedy Works. We had long tables up front that sat eight or nine. They were long tables. And there's some comedian, I forget his name, but on Friday night he told the owner, you know, he goes, and he goes, you, you want couples up front. Couples are in their best behavior. Put the tables of four up front. And guess what? Good for Steve Young. We all had to come in early on Saturday because he didn't go, oh, no, no. That makes sense. And there we moved all the tables around and put couples up front. And it was better. It was better. Yeah, the comedy cellar won't, in New York won't seat more than four people. Yeah, it's divided up. 
That's why another thing I've done at clubs. Uh, I'm done. I keep talking about. No, this. I like it. I I, I do. <laughs> I do this thing where I do my announcement, and then I realize that I can't make it too long, so I shorten it up. And then there's one more thing I want to do, but I b- separate it, and I go, other than that, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the be quiet, the phone thing. I go, other than that, where I always end with, we're glad you're here. No one thing that we wouldn't have ripped through all that if we didn't have an amazing amount of respect for you, and we do, and we're glad you're here, and it's showtime. And then I bring in, like, a betting music of this song called... Uh, uh, poke salad. It's just a karaoke version, but it's bum bum bum, very, you know, sort of upbeat. And I go, ladies and gentlemen, now it's time to take the chairs and completely turn them around. You know, because sometimes how they're facing the other way. Yeah, yeah. I go, your neighbor or under your neighbor will understand because it turns it into more like it separates you from the person that you're with. You know, like like at a theater, you don't get to if you're with six people at a theater, you're yeah. at one and you're at the other. You're all laughing together. Oh, that's, that's a great little move. I do it. And then you know what I do? And it's another little trick when they're not doing it. No tone in my voice. I go and I, I just sort of have a sort of a maybe parodying this swanky voice. But I go, all right, it's taking some people longer than others. And the music's playing in the background. I go, as soon as all those chairs get turned around, guess what? It's showtime. And then I wait. And guess what? Three seconds after their silence, chairs start moving like a motherfucker. Because oh. they realize, and everyone turns them around. The people that don't, you know how half the audience is facing the stage the yeah. way they're, but the other half isn't. Their chairs are faced towards, you know, the, the table. they're with, yeah. And they all start flipping them, flip them, flip them, flip them. That's right. Because you see that person behind you, you'll be talking to them in an hour and a half. You won't need to commit. I don't say that. Yeah. But I think it. You know what I mean? That's great. That's a great idea. It is because I figured it out. Now, some clubs seat them, you know, like Acme, they're all seated looking at the stage because there's no food. So every single table is already with the chairs facing. Let's talk about uh, opening act thing because I do it once in a while and I've done it. Do you ever feel like I shouldn't be doing this? Uh, I get jealous sometimes. Uh, you mean if you open for someone that's like at a three thousand seat theater? Well, yeah. Where you're just like, I don't want to be perceived as a, you know, because we've both been doing it a long time. Mm-hmm. You, you know, know, I don't want to be like Mister Opening Act. I, I, I've, I won't say who I've said. Very few I've said. May, my, my manager and I went. Eh, maybe that's not a good idea. You know what I mean? But if it's someone like Louis C.K. Yeah, or, yeah. or whoever it is, you know, uh, David Cross, or and they're in a three thousand seat theater, and they've always showed me a lot of respect. Even in, when in the first tour, Louis would get on that mic and really, you know, give me a nice intro. I get jealous, but no, because that's what lets me, like we said, say, yeah, not, not work are, the I shitty mean, I clubs. almost never. I, I almost never turn them down. Like there's times I go, I can't do the opening act, and then you're like, God, do I want to go fly in a private jet to <laughs> I know. to do eight minutes at you know the Kennedy Center? Yeah, I guess I. Yeah, why well, I should probably do that, right? Some of those are. Fun. I did the tour bus. You know, I'm a, I all I want in this business, all I really want, and I'm happy with what I have, but I want to. I want a little more, but you know, uh, is to be able to have a tour bus. I just want a tour bus. And tour buses are nice. It, you know what? It's everything you think it'll be. Some people, like I know Louis C.K. can't sleep on the tour bus. Right. So for him, it doesn't work. But I can. And I did my first uh, tour bus thing. I think it was with David Cross. And God damn it, we had fun. It was like, just, just keep in mind, it's not like a band where there's 20 people on the right. tour bus. So it's not crowded and you're not like, oh, some guy's fucking someone. Yeah, there's the closet yeah. space. There's You have a, two beds, one for you to sleep on. The other one, you can put your suitcase and open it up and set up camp. You're always checking in the hotels when you get to the city, but I never did. Everyone, There was three of us on the tour bus, or four of us with the with the, uh, uh, with the the uh, manager, what do you call it, tour manager. Yeah. They would all go into the hotel. I'm like, 
I'd much rather have friends after a show and bring them back to the tour bus. Like, oh, because I stay in hotels all the time. So the tour bus thing. Yeah, it's but, cool. And it's different for people who've never been on one. They're going to go, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Right. But, it, yeah, those things are, I mean, they're, they're bands and even some comedians who they don't even check into the hotel. They just stay in it. Yeah. It's pretty comfortable. And some of them have showers on them now. Yeah, the, the, one, the last one had two bathrooms, one in the back bedroom, one up front. It's like, fuck, this is it. But some of them are limited-use bathrooms, if you know what I mean. Well, you know what someone told me about that? That that is the driver trying to be lazy in not having to change the, the, the toilet. Because if the star of that tour bus says, we're using the bathroom... Now, I might be way off on this, but maybe someone listening would know. Because for the people listening that don't know, sometimes in a tour bus they go, uh, no, uh, no, no shitting in the, in the yeah. bathroom, you know, uh, especially when you're checking in the hotels. You just say you have to pull over. But someone said if the person that's, you know, and whether it's, you know, the Louis C.K. or David Cross in our situation or Sarah Silverman, no, no, no. That's – if they want to use that bathroom, they use that bathroom. The driver can't tell you. And the drivers are usually pretty cool, but I get it. They don't want to have to pull over and deal with the sh- the, that aspect of a tour bus emptying out. That's what someone told me. Someone told me that there's a more advanced model of this, with, which has a grinder in it, which I guess grinds. It's really a disgusting conversation. But it, it's it's a bathroom that you can't. And like Tom Waits was like not going to tour, and then they this thing happened. He's like, all right, I, I can tour then. Because he doesn't want to pull over into a pizza hut, I guess, and go to the bathroom or something. But what I, what I don't understand is you can always – even the old bathrooms, you could you – could, I hate that word. You could go number two. But I guess the idea is that it, it's the it, – The smell? It, yeah, it doesn't really – they oh. haven't smell-proofed it. Now it, I it's understand. Not, I mean, it's nothing beyond that, I don't think. Uh, oh. I mean, it definitely – you could physically go to the bathroom. I didn't know. The I same it, way you could physically go to the bathroom on the floor or in a, right. any sort of area. Cat litter. Cat litter. <laughs> So you thought there was another reason for it? I did. I thought because the driver didn't want to empty the, the, the where they. I didn't know it was the smell on the bus. Maybe. Well, I mean, it might be. It might be the driver thing also. But yeah. But I mean, I've I've had not just drivers tell me that. I love it. It's so much fun. We set up like uh, just listening to music, watching movies together. Yeah, it is pretty comfortable. I and would, even those beds are comfortable. They are, and they they're like their own little cocoon. Yeah, and you, it's super dark. I snore, so, you know, I don't anymore because I lost 30 pounds. But when I snored, it was great because they would always go, I get the back bedroom all to myself. I didn't have to take a bunk because. Because you fake snored. I didn't fake. Yeah, I know. Yeah, sure. Now, I, next time I so go on tour. So losing 30 pounds stopped you from snoring? Yeah. In my case, there's all different reasons for snoring. Sometimes it's not a weight thing. In my case, it was. I remember once on Hollywood Squares, they asked about snoring. I don't. I have a distinct memory of this, and they said it was a a, a way of cry, a cry for attention. No shit. This is know. Hollywood Squares well, in like 1973 that I saw this. I remember when I was in high school, something on Hollywood Squares, and I to this day I think it should be. I don't. I don't care. It should be changed. Uh, oh, uh, whoever they would yell. Oh, Paul, in in the book of etiquette, uh, is it okay to blow your nose at a dining room table? And he went, oh, 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 did the joke, and then the real answer. And uh, the answer was yes. I, and guess what? Either it's been changed. I don't give a fuck. No, no, it's not borderline to me. I know people either adamantly disagree or agree. I get it. I'm not a germaphobe. I touch knobs. You got to live life. Some things might gross you out. It doesn't mean it's wrong. But unloading your nasal cavity into a napkin and then putting – it's like I – What if you have to sneeze? Because I always feel weird when I'm like at a cloth napkin restaurant and I have to sneeze and like – 
What am I going to sneeze in my hand? That's gross. No, no. If you have to sneeze, that's completely different. Okay. First of all, some people would say what I'm about to say isn't healthy, but I do a held back sneeze, which you can't always do. It's I've probably not healthy. Die. I've heard rumors that you could die, but I've I never a, heard an actual death. It's a rumor. That. It's a rumor. I don't think you should hold back your sneeze 100% of the time. There's probably, but once in a blue moon, you hold it back, you use your napkin, but you're not letting out like, yeah. but to go yeah. Yeah. at the table. No, go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. I don't know that I've ever even been with someone who does that. Oh, I have. I don't think I've ever been around someone who blows their nose ever. Really? I don't think it happens. Sure it does. (laughs) And we'll be back. What a holy shit. This time has flown, man. This is the least I've looked at my watch for any any podcast guest. You know what's funny? I said to myself on the way over here, I go, uh, I won't talk about... But it's so much fun for me. Why do I enjoy it so much? Talking about the club thing. And oh, just, I, yeah, I knew. I knew we would talk about that. It, it's, I well, t- the first time I saw, it's when I really like, you know, I, 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 I like that you cared. I never knew. We knew each other for yeah. a long time. But we were at a festival and we started talking about this sort of thing. And it, I could tell some comedians it doesn't bother as much. But it did. And I love that it bothered you. We talked about the music that they play. Yeah. When, when they bring the act up and everything. And. All that stuff. The best thing I heard at a club recently, and I mean best and not best, is I heard a doorman seating people, and he's like, yeah, can you uh, just, you know, cell phone use to a minimum? <laughs> to a mi- you, Like, they learned this phrase, to a minimum. It's like... Because you're right. To Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget... Slam out a few texts. Yeah. So. Don't forget to keep your, your cell phone conversation to a minimum. No, not at all. Zero. Not yeah, at all. Zero. To a minimum. And it's always, always like... It's always said at that pace over the Blues Brothers... And you're like, yeah, I'm sure that that lesson really got locked in. You know, you know what? I'll say one more. Are we okay with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love, you know, the show part of the show. You know what I mean? I love the, the the dramatics of a show, like when you go to a theater show. And as much as I've done all this stuff, and I've always had these theories, I've talked about this shit so much. A, a comedian friend of mine once said, "Why do clubs think they have to do it that much different than theaters?" Now I get certain things why they have to be different. I do understand. I don't even mind food and drinks being served because the good ones prove you can do it. You can do it good. They make a lot of money off the food and drinks, yeah. and you can do it properly. There's rules. There's things you wouldn't serve. You don't serve. You know, you keep it simple so they're not serving salads during the show. So you can do food and drinks and do it really fucking good. I get it, but. So I get all those different things. But, like, even the little thing of after a show, having the MC go back up on stage, 90% of the time I stopped that, I went, wait a second. If you were at a theater, they don't run out after the show and go, you know, George Carlin, George Carlin. Right. So after the show, I let, first of all, two reasons. Let the MC go home. Maybe if he's got a regular job, he maybe hangs out Friday and Saturday. But if Wednesday, he can go home an hour early. But if I thought it made the show worse, I don't give a fuck. Then the MC has to stay. But it doesn't. It makes it better. You say goodnight. What could be more dramatic? You da 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 your last bit. Blackout. Lady, from the back mic, right. ladies and gentlemen, Todd Glass. Music comes on. The lights come up. Yeah. yeah. I think that announcement puts a little button on it. What announcement? The, the way you did it where the, someone says ladies. Oh, yeah. So you, you don't s- mind it from off stage. No, no. Just like it might be like because you, you're right. At a theater, they might not even do that. There's a, there's no. a given. But you're right. But you know what? Maybe if ladies and gentlemen, Todd Glass and then blackout. But while I'm still at clubs. I try to make it like when I'm in Philly, I've had these th- or a few clubs. I've had a, a, some music open up for me and um, make it exciting. And I do a two person show, I do a two person show. And I'll have like a, I'll give you an example. Like I can't always afford a three piece or sometimes a band will email me. Hey, we're a band in the area. We'll play for you. But what I've been doing a lot because it's very reasonable and it's very powerful is I'll have the uh, uh, a mu- um, um, instrumental version of uh, Ring of Fire. 
and I hire a trumpet player who can fucking play the trumpet. I do all my announcement, and then I go, hey, folks, we're going to start a little differently tonight. And I do the chair thing, and then I go, and then whoever the sound person is there, I go, hey, Jeremiah, why don't you bring in a little backbeat here or bring in a little music? And then they bring it in. I go, folks, um, whoever the person is, Kevin Basilico, because that was the guy in D.C., and the music's already playing, so they get that's the that's just the the, the constant. And I go, Kevin Basilico is going to come out and wail in your face for a little while. Something I heard Sinatra say, and then he comes out on that, uh, in this case, a saxophone, and he wailed. It was echoing through the room. I mean, it fills the room. But you know, doom. It's big. They're, they, you have their attention. They are fucking ready. It was good. It was talent. They, it reverberates through the room. Blackout. Five seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, Chip Chantry. And he comes out onto the stage. Do you know what I'm saying? Did I explain that right? Who's So there's a, a two musicians? No, I just have Chip Chantry's the first act. Oh, okay. So I have the, the Kevin Basilico. He plays, you know, hard out. You know what I mean? Like, they hit that last note, you yeah. know. That's great. Fire. They are ready. But I notice after that, I can't have someone that comes out and dilly-dallies. That, that trumpet, it gets them. I mean, they are fucking ready. So the first act can't come out and go, how you doing? They're fine! And I love when I'm with an act, and that's what I want on the road. In this case, it was if Chip Chantry in Philadelphia, guys like that, Bobby Miyamoto, not high energy. I don't want someone to come out and think they have to be who they're not. Just come out, whatever your pace is, but boom, 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 boom. Just keep telling jokes. Keep telling jokes. And guess what? I think a lot of they think, well, they'll be with you right from the start. No, I get it. They're not. But guess what? Nothing assembles them more as an audience than jokes. Exactly. That's not why- how you doing. Not that I mean, even though I do crowd work, I don't, I, when the MC does it, I, and a lot of them do it, and a lot of nice, funny guys do it. But mm-hmm. just I just like I've seen people like, do you really? You're on stage, you're doing four shows this weekend, and you're spending that's especially like a newer comic where you're mm-hmm. like you're spending five, twenty minutes in the weekend talking to someone about their birthday. Because you think you have to acknowledge whether someone's birthday. But it goes back to the theater thing where, like, you go see a, a comedian at theater, then they'll go, hey, hey, Carnegie Hall, you, who's celebrating a birthday here? You usually now? wouldn't. And you know what? It's never the new acts because, like, everything I, – I always like when I when I talk about this to remember to say this. Every bad habit, I did it. Oh, I yeah, get me it. too. Of you're, course. Afraid of your, you're afraid of your first joke. So when it's a two-year comic or a three-year comic, I totally get it. But it's when you're on the road with someone that's been doing it 10 years and you go, don't – just just do your jokes. Get them going. I have just – you're not at a bar anymore. At a bar, I get it. You had to say how you're doing because there's no – they have made a big deal of – even about you, in, in my case, a pre-show announcement, I do everything. I blink the lights. I was at a comedy club. Once they blink the lights, I go, I fucking love it, like a theater. They blink the house lights a yeah. little. And then they, the, the lights go down. The stage spot goes on. An announcement's made. A horn player wails. There's, there's a trumpet just wailing through the room. Blackout. Ladies and gentlemen. There has been a big deal made about you. You do not need to go out and say how you're doing. Who's in a good mood? Who gives a fuck? Have you thought of uh, playing like venues that aren't comedy clubs? Because I feel like you would be perfect there. Like I'm not. You know what the truth is, and I'm, I'm not being negative. I, when I when, when it's time, yes. Uh, but I should also say this. I also love working the same room for four or five nights. Every night you walk into perfect perfect situation. I sort of like it, but. I'm not ready. I, I'm not. I don't have the draw yet to do theaters. But like little, like clubs that I play, two hundred, three hundred seaters. Well, 
you know the the you know it sounds like I, I'm so negative about clubs, but I, no, no, it doesn't sound like I'm negative about clubs. I'm just going to be positive. The, the reason probably not yet. I like the circumstances so much the way I like them. You know, like that the clubs that I go to, I know that they're going to do it perfect. Yeah, I so, guess if they already know, it, but it just seems to me that you're trying to you're going to these places that are like we do this we do this with 51 weeks out of the year. Well, this is what we do, and then you're going, don't do that. And and I don't think they're always going to be like. Oh, okay, we won't have the MC going, but but he makes the announcements and the, talks about the raffle. Most and... until that becomes a problem, most clubs have been awesome about it. They're like sort of with a shrug of the shoulders. They're like, oh what? Like, like it's not even a big deal. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, that's okay. And then I'll go. Can we do this? They go, yeah. I go. I bring my own music as they're coming in. They're like, that's okay. Do you want us to roll our opening video? I go. Do you mind if we don't? And they're Ooh. like, yeah. Once in a while they do, and I and, I'm, and I can work with them. I'll be like, okay, you know. But I do all those announcements. So until that happens, I mean, I'm I'm. It's been working nice. You know, until I'm ready to 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 change it up. What dates do you have coming up? Or this is the plug portion. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to be at the the, uh, the, uh, the I'm actually going back to Philadelphia Comedy Cabaret in Bucks County in Doylestown, the 25th and 26th of April, and then I'm doing the Comedy Bar in Toronto. Have you ever? Oh, been that's there? a good place. Yeah, it's such a great place. That's a really good place. Such that's a great also place. a place where there's no table service. There's nothing. Nothing. Just a, that's kind of that kind of places that I was talking about. Yeah, okay, so I actually do some of those places. Okay. Yes, uh, it's like a black box theater, yeah, basically yeah, yeah. they call it. Yeah, the comedy bar is That's oh, good. the best, the yeah. best. Plus, they got a guy there in this kitchen the size of a little bedroom, puts out the best food in the world. Like really cool. Doesn't feel like they're slopping shit nachos all over the place. I actually had nachos there, so uh, well, they just do kills it. your whole premise. D- you serious? Yeah. Well, then you know what? Then he served them nicely. Didn't look like shit. Yeah. In a shit basket. They, no. In a little place, he manages to pump out like creative, like cool looking. No, that's good. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, I'll be there uh, the 11th and 12th of April, and then I'll be at the. We were just talked about it. I'll be in Atlanta in uh, June. At the Laughing Skull. At the Laughing Skull, fifth through the eighth of June. And it's ToddGlass.com. Mm-hmm. And it's at Todd Glass. I don't know. On I, Twitter? You don't know your Twitter? Yeah, Twitter, yeah. Twitter is at Todd Glass, I guess. Yeah, man. You got to get that Twitter in there. I, I, I tweet. Any uh, merch that you want to plug? No. I have a book coming out. <laughs> you do? Yes. In May called, um, called uh, The Todd Glass Situation. A uh, bunch of – it's called The Todd Glass Situation. A bunch of uh, fake stories about my private life. Or something like that. And then uh, a bunch of true stories about my 30 years in comedy. Wow. That sounds cool. In May. Yeah, it was so the hardest thing it. I've ever done for Simon & Schuster. Release, it, release in May. I apologize. Is that your phone that you just after After up. like a 48-minute conversation but, about turning your phones off. Whose phone But by out? the way, my phone, see, the, it's, you're right, but I should have shut it off. That was just an alert Oh, my something. God. You're lucky this is a relaxed podcast. <laughs> but yeah, the book, uh, 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 I wanted to call it If I Could Only Meet a Girl with Cancer, but they said no to that. Really? That was my, my brilliant idea when I was 19 that would keep me covered for the rest of my life. You know, because I meet a girl with cancer, and then if she died, then I could go, oh, I never got over Lisa. <laughs> You know, that was seriously something I had talked about. Oh, I think about. I heard you talk about that on, on Marin's podcast, right? Yeah, that was my that was my concept. But they, they, they thought that that would – I don't know why. It's still – they, they were – it was such an awesome experience writing this book. Simon & Schuster was awesome. But I'm not going to lie about it. To this day, I wonder if I made a mistake not fighting for that title. I think titles – like, like I, I've written some essays from like the New York Times a few years ago. They, like, we were coming up with the title. It's like, well, I just wrote this whole thing. I can – yeah, we're coming up with the title. 
And, like they're very protective of that. And you know what, Todd? It's that fine line of respecting. I thought I don't want to be the guy that goes so berserk the other way. Like, no, from now on, I'm doing. I'm I'm fighting for what I believe. I had too many times where I sack, you know, compromised, and I shouldn't have. And and and. But then you don't want to turn into a loose cannon. I thought maybe they do know something. Maybe my story could be, also be. You know what? I wanted this title. In all fairness, I got to give Simon and Schuster credit that we called it this, and I'm glad we did. I actually think that I kind of agree with them. I mean, that's a cool title, but. You might, I think, from a marketing perspective, there's some people who go. Ooh, That's what I thought, and then they I changed. The word well, I'll tell you what. What about with the subtitle? Because I even changed it. And first of all, I I would never do a joke unless somebody, with, not everybody, with cancer, unless a good group of people with cancer were able to very. Uh, clearly go, that has nothing to do with yeah, making fun of cancer. Yeah, you're that's, not making fun of cancer. That's making that. fun of a desperate 18-year-old's plight to not think it all the way through. That go, I am so nervous about letting everybody know about this that I have sunk into the level of thinking I can meet a girl with cancer. It has nothing to do with making fun right. of cancer. But the subtitle was, and then I changed it. I thought, how about if it could be, if I could only meet a girl with a terminal disease and other stupid things I said to try to keep the closet door shut. I thought, so then the subtitle goes, oh, okay. So I thought that would make it better. That subtitle explains it crystal clear, but they still said no. I went with the Todd Glass situation because that's what um, I, I have a show that, um, well. Yeah, and if you'd fought, I mean, it's always good to fight a little bit, but then there's always a chance where, let's say, it didn't do that well. Then they'd like, hey, we told you. That's why, that's why I changed it. That's Even though they couldn't prove that it was the title that scared people off. Yeah, so that's why I went their way. But uh, it's a horribly offensive title, and I can't believe you thought of it. <laughs> I'm just I'm going to erase this whole podcast. <laughs> just because of that last one? Yeah, man. It offended me. Oh, you really? And I own Simon and Schuster. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Thank you, Todd. That was, uh, that was fun, right? You know what I always say? I feel light after these things because it's cathartic. You know yeah, why? You, got in. you were the most intense guest I've ever had. Really? Yeah, it reminds you. I'd say, hey, I apologize for talking about some of the same stuff, but obviously it's, it's, I'm passionate about it. I'm sure so. people will let me know that the same stuff that you I think we hit it from different angles. Yeah, we did. We put our own spin on it. Yes. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.